You are listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. If you are an Indian living abroad, feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential, this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories. This is your host Ehsan Ali, a long-time IT professional living in Sydney, Australia, who has made it his mission to find and unpack these stories, the strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian expats. to help you and i reach our full potential we have a special young guest this week uh, nakul pednekar nakul started his career in hr and recruitment uh, soon he started his own recruitment consulting company where he specialized in analytics and data science recruitment within few years of running his recruitment business uh, nakul took another bold step of starting his own sports analytic business where he combines his passion for sports and possibilities of analytics so let's talk to nakul and hear his story of why he did what he did and learn a thing or two from his journey hey nakul welcome to the podcast hi asan thanks for having me on fantastic man i'm very excited to uncover your story which is a gen y gen y right gen y i think so i think so gen gen y moved from india with parents and you have an interesting career which is what i was intrigued you have hardly worked you worked for a couple of years and then started on your own you come from commerce background but you are in analytics and emerging technologies and today you run a sports analytics business So in a very short span of time you have done quite a few things so I want to really understand your journey what makes you do what you do and get out some uh, understanding in terms of uh, the decision points the challenges the good good bad and ugly of these journeys so create some awareness insights and uh, uh, inspiration for other people who listen to this podcast awesome and I'm really excited to unpack everything So Nakul just give us a quick background of who Nakul is a bit of family background where you come from and what have you been doing so far Yep cool well the family background part's pretty easy so I was born in Mumbai both my parents were brought up born and brought up in Mumbai as well I guess the the part where it gets a bit messy is so we we migrated to Australia in the mid 90s lived here for a couple of years and as uh most migrant sort of overseas kids can attest to the the initial transition was pretty tricky i still remember like i moved here i had a basic understanding of english but definitely didn't have the right accent could barely how old, read how old were you then i was just younger than 5 so i think okay. when we started to go to school here we were in like kindergarten or whatever okay um, that's easy and one of my earliest memories was still sort of going to class you know everyone was pretty friendly at the start but then when they picked up that you couldn't read or you know you had a different accent it wasn't the the most pleasant thing early on but <laughs> within a couple of years i got it like within a couple of months sorry i got over that made quite a few friends in sydney and then unfortunately we had to migrate back to india because of some family health issues in with my parents so then had to going from you know drawing or coloring in and all these kinds of things that you do in school <laughs> in australia i went from having to learn a to z 0 to 100 in india and it was a Pretty big fun. big big yeah. shock even yeah. things like having to write your own timetable where whereas in australia everything gets printed out for you yeah, so that's right. um a rude cultural shock and then 2 years later we came back to sydney so 2001 then i had to readjust to the australian accent from just having learned the indian one but luckily for the last 20 years from 2001 to 2021 we've been in sydney pretty much in the same suburb in southwest sydney so it's been a smoother transition since then 
That's awesome. So you are more Australian than Indian. Largely so. Unfortunately, like, yeah, when the cricket, when the cricket summer starts, I'm definitely Indian, but day to day life, pretty much Australian. Yes. Fantastic. And you represent a cricket club as well in Sydney, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So me and a couple of other friends, uh, we started Harris Park Cricket Club last year. Obviously, as any Indian would know in Sydney, Harris Park is you know probably the biggest Indian community. A lot of the migrants that come into Sydney end up moving around Parramatta and Harris Park. So does, yeah. we thought, you know, the the normal process of cricket clubs just being named after their local RSL, we thought we mm. could try something different. So we actually created Harris Park Cricket Club and it's grown from, I think, two teams, so 25 people to now almost 100 people, including all our juniors, kids programs. Awesome. And That's by nice. next year, it should be more than 500 within the next six months with all That's the kids awesome. that are going to be signing up. So uh, a little a little startup in itself. Yeah, a little startup in itself. And how was uh, the decision in terms of what subjects you should take and where, what career you should choose? Like in India, it's pretty yeah. flat. I don't know how it is now, but when I was growing up, it was pretty flat. If it's uh, you're good in mathematics, you are, you're going to be an engineer. Yeah. Uh, if you can't be an engineer, be a doctor or vice versa. Uh, if you can't do any one of these, uh, then you become a chartered accountant or yeah. maybe lawyer at the end of it. I don't remember. Oh. How was it uh, growing up here and making those decisions you know, from high school to university and then actually getting it to job? I love the I love the fact that you brought this up. So as a kid, I was unexplainably good with numbers. Like that's probably <laughs> even the wrong word, but I was just ridiculously good at memorizing and like, you know, quick maths and stuff like that. And then it got to, I remember when I went to India, maths was completely different, like that algebra and a few other very complicated things. So this, this discussion that you're bringing up actually defined my life in a way, because when I was going back and forth from Sydney to Sydney to Mumbai, Sydney to Mumbai, I'm, look, I'm probably slightly above average intelligence, like definitely not some sort of genius, but <laughs> because, because I happened to be in Mumbai in year three and four, yeah. all my education was at a level where when I came back to Australia, I seemed like a genius. So yeah, um, you know, if, you're, you if you're aware of the OC opportunity class exam, so yeah. I came back to Sydney about one month before those exams. I passed that exam to get into my local OC class by I think, I think I was fifth reserve. So I probably made mm -hmm. it by like one mark, mm -hmm. five people dropped out. I made the class. And then yeah. even within that class, it was obvious that I wasn't one of the more gifted kids in that class. Yeah. And I made it to Sydney boys high school, a selective school in Sydney Again, probably by about one mark, because there was another friend of mine that got one or two marks less than me in the selective school test, and then yeah. he didn't make it to that school. So yeah. I was very, very fortunate in the timing that yeah. I was able to get all these educational opportunities. And mm -hmm. by the time that it got to year 12 and decisions on university, it was very clear to my mom and myself that education was probably my fourth priority after cricket, after <laughs> trying to find a girlfriend and, you know, social activities and whatever. Like, yeah, it, it's, it was clear that I wanted to do something in business and commerce because I wasn't technical at all, but I made up my mind in year, in India that science was the one thing that I wasn't good at. So I hated science. So in year nine, when they, or year nine or 10, they started teaching us about the periodic table and a mm -hmm. few other things. I purposely mm -hmm. would not learn it. So I literally would not learn it. I failed the subject on purpose. So I was unable to do physics and chemistry in year 11 and 12 and then did subjects like economics and legal studies. So I was really stubborn as a kid and then, yeah, followed the commerce line into university. So uh, Nakul, when somebody moves from India to Australia uh, to get it, they have a different kind of challenge. They don't have local experience and so on and so forth. But when you grow up here and you do a graduation in commerce and when you get in the job market, 
how easy or how difficult it has been for you it's pretty manageable like by the, by that age like what i was trying to get at is if you come here earlier by the time that you're 18 or 21 it's a very manageable process you, you okay. basically get treated in most industries anyway like you know pretty much like anyone else i think the only the only the other thing that sorry makes it a lot more manageable is that it's very normal for kids to be 16 or 17 in year 11 and 12 or first year of uni to start getting jobs and maybe even move out of home. So mm -hmm. that transition from, you know, a, a kid or a student to joining the workforce in a casual capacity and then to look for full-time jobs is a lot smoother transition cool. than uh, I guess in other countries without having that support. And uh, after your commerce graduation, what kind of uh, job did you look So I did, I did human resources as a major in uni, just because I'm, I'm a people person and I thought yeah. human resources means people. I did an internship at Citibank. I applied for a few jobs after uni and I was fortunate to get HR graduate job at Sanofi, which is a global pharmaceutical company. Long story short, within 12 months, I'd been let go is probably a bit rough, but essentially I'd had two different jobs in HR and both those contracts finished within six months, which is obviously a sign that I wasn't the right person for the job. But also, and I, this is this sounds silly and some people think I'm joking, but both jobs, the manager essentially said, we think you're a really good guy. We think you'll do really well. I just don't think HR is the right job for you. And I walked out of the second one thinking, thank God, I will never have to work in this industry again, because those people were so nice. Just I wasn't the right person for that industry. So, But did it, did it impact your self-esteem when you had kind of like this is going to sound even more silly but no it didn't <laughs> so like, <laughs> which is good <laughs> yeah like i i always even back then i remember meeting my friends and i told them hey i was actually getting engaged to my now wife back then so mm -hmm. i just been let go from two jobs in 12 months and had to plan an engagement party for which i had basically no money so <laughs> the story sounds ridiculous but i would literally see my friends on the weekend and i'd be laughing about this story and that they were thinking i'm crazy but like I can't explain the satisfaction, or not satisfaction, the relief of being told, hey, sorry, you don't have to come into work anymore. Because from my point of view, I knew that I wasn't the right person for this job. I just needed something. And before the second job, my family actually, you know, we made a family decision of, I, I know this probably isn't right, but I'll take this job because it makes sense. But after the second, I was like, you say whatever you want. I'm not doing this again. And I need to do something different, something that suits me more. So I was very much relieved. Yeah. I think we are in the era where we can think this way. So in early days, it was a little bit different. Like if you don't do well, you, you attach your work success with you as a person. Like you will start to feel like failure. It starts to hit your self-esteem and things like that. I'm happy it didn't happen to you. I'll just address that quickly though. Attaching your self-esteem to your work. I think that's a really important point and that doesn't go away as you get older. I can see people at our age, either side of 30, still struggling with that. You know, some people might be very successful and that might make them feel better about themselves or vice versa. But I think that's something that's really important. A, ideally not to have that or at least mm -hmm. to minimize that. But B, even if you have that, use a little bit of common sense and make sure that your career is actually what's designed or what suits your personality and then at least think that way. So I knew that my skills of administration and discipline or time management weren't really what I was meant to do at 25. Therefore, I didn't feel so bad that I wasn't so good at the job. But if you told me that, you know, I was working in what I'm going to get to next, which is recruitment, if you said the same things to me in that job, then I would have been upset because mm. I, I backed myself. It's I always think of life or work as cricket or any sport that you're interested in you know if, if you if you're a batsman and if someone said hey your bowling skills aren't up to scratch 
why would you feel that upset? It's understandable. That's but if someone example. gives you some constructive criticism on your batting, then you'll take that and you'll learn and, and you'll develop those skills. So don't be, don't get beaten up for the, I guess, um, wrong constructive criticism. Just learn that no one is perfect and you can't do everything. Right. No, good, good. Thanks for adding that. It's very important. And as you rightly said, this doesn't go away. And even people in 30s and 40s may have that self-esteem issues because they may be doing things which are they're not really good at and they're not find, taking time out to step back and see what they're really good at. And the word you use is personality. I call it core values. So if you understand yeah. what your core values are, what energizes you, what sucks energy out of you, what you 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 don't you you lose track of time when you are doing certain things. When you yep. bring in all these parameters and then you pick up the job, then you're in the right work. Yep, 100%. And in terms of next steps, so all of this happened when I was about 24. Yeah, I was very relieved. I was like, oh, thank God I don't have to work in HR again. It doesn't suit me. Uh, and then I was thinking of next steps. And funnily enough, my, oh, I forgot if it was girlfriend or fiance, whatever it was, like my partner at the time, she was working in recruitment consulting and I was working in HR. And, and every day we would talk about our work and she would tell me about, you know, oh, her manager does sales and negotiation and they have to build a network and all these things. And I was like, that sounds amazing. It was, it was kind of like my dream job, but I didn't have access to that industry. So pretty much the day, like the moment that I got let go of this second HR job, I left, I think I grabbed an ice cream or something. And I went on my phone and I went on seek.com and basically started just sending my resume for recruitment jobs. And it, I think it was about two months or so. I very fortunately got accepted into a recruitment consulting job. It was pretty much minimum wage, very basic salary level, but... Mm -hmm. It was exactly what I wanted to do. It was in a, a small company with two guys who were um, very senior IT recruiters at two well-known IT recruitment companies in Sydney. They had just started their own business. The office was like a, almost like a small house in Surrey Hills. Mm, <laughs> um, okay. And I was their first employee along with someone else who became a good friend of mine after. So essentially I went from working in this job I, I completely disliked and I was horrible at for 12 months. And I was traveling three hours a day, by the way, in this old job in HR. And then this mm -hmm. new job was in Surrey Hills. It was half the amount of travel. I love the job. I love the, the directors or the owners of the company. And I was learning things like uh, negotiation, communication skills, how to build a network of clients like data science and analytics managers and directors, and how to talk to data scientists and PhD mathematicians. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, within two months, I could tell that this was kind of my dream job at the time. Mm, that's nice. Now, I'm happy you found it. You found the right that was as per your personality and your aspirations. So how long did you do that? So I did that from mid-2015 to about mid-2017. So just less than two years. But around 18 months in, I, I heard of this concept of how you could start your own, own recruitment company. And I thought, look, I'm 25. I've only done this for 18 months. It's probably a little bit early for me to consider this type of concept. But that company ended up actually calling me. So <laughs> it was a little bit of fortune, but long story short, within two years of doing recruitment, I was actually running my own data science and analytics recruitment company with, a, with an office in Surrey Hills that we shared with a few other people from that franchise business. And my life had just completely changed. You know, from two years ago, I'm sort of out of a job, getting engaged with no savings to two years later, I've got a little bit of savings, but my own company and the ability to pretty much, you know, whatever I earn as a business, the majority of that I would keep. And it was a complete game changer. Did, did you say it was a franchisee? 
Yeah, yeah. So basically, like, you know, instead of start, you know, saving $50,000 or something to start your own company, these guys would help you with all the administration and all the setup, and you would pay that off over three years. So they would help people to sort of do this for the first time, because as you would probably know, starting your own business from scratch is a pretty scary thought. So this way you, you did run your own business, you had complete control, but uh, a small fee was given and, and they help you with a lot of the admin, the setup, and they gave you an office two minutes from central, which was amazing. Oh, they give you an office as well. So it's a shared office. Okay. It was awesome. Yeah. You didn't have any background in technology though. Zero. Uh, when I started was... in 2015, I was like, I really did not like anything to do with science or technology, but that changed very quickly. <laughs> you started to enjoy it? I started to fall in love, I guess, with the, the possibilities that were out there in the world of analytics. And then within 12 months, I became very confident with how the industry kind of gelled together especially on the commercial client side and then the as you would probably know like from 2015 when it was analysis and bi 2017 it was data science 2018 it was machine learning and ai like all these buzzwords kept changing but the rate of rate of growth in the industry was consistent so i think that's what i fell more in love with at this stage anyway mm. what was the biggest highlight in your business how long did you run it three years just shy of three years yeah what was the biggest highlight oh there's probably two things like the one, the one thing is like the first time you make your first big deal. Yeah. So I remember it was like, I, I won't go into the details, but basically I made like one big deal and long story short, within three months of running the company, I'd made more money than I would have in one year of working before. Yeah. So obviously as like a 25 year old, this is a huge deal. Yeah. I remember going out to dinner, <laughs> dinner to celebrate. I was you know over the moon. So that was the financial side and that was yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing that I learned is immediately after that three months, I had a little bit of a, it's hard to explain, but a bit of a crisis where I thought I was going crazy because it was like the end of 2015. I just started my own business. As I said, I just made more money in three months than you would in, or I would in a year previously. And I just had zero motivation to actually work anymore. And I had no manager. There was, it was my own business, right? Mm. So it was like October or November, I think. And I just did not want to work. And I basically couldn't work. And I was just, I thought I was going crazy. I even saw a psychologist at that point. And the things that they, they, we obviously discussed a lot of things, but I was like, it wasn't a psychologist in that, you know, I'm depressed or or any of the more, I guess, serious or urgent things that you need to go through. It was more just like, they just explained to me as that like a, a migrant person coming to Australia or someone from a single parent family, you have a, like an inner voice that's critiquing you all the time. And sometimes you actually need to be like easier on yourself and listen to what's happening. And, and the long story short version of this is that I basically just needed to accept that I'm comf- like too comfortable with what's going on. And I've got no motivation because I don't need money. Whereas previously, money was always something that was driving me because, you know, as I was saying, I was unemployed and paying for an engagement or, yeah. you know, I was from a single parent home and like in university, I would need casual jobs or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that was always such a driving factor. And then suddenly, you make more money than you would in a year and three months and things mm. have completely changed. Mm. So I, I basically realized that it's okay. Yeah, work at your own pace, listen to what motivates you. And if you're not motivated, you know, go spend more time with your friends or go help out in whatever way you can with whoever mm. you can do those things. Cause work will always be there. And mm. that was definitely the case. So how, how did you turn it around? It was basically three months of struggling with this, of just like, oh man, I don't want to work. And then you'd feel guilty because you're not working. And then that guilt would make you not want to work. And then you would go have fun and watch cricket with your friends or whatever. Then you'd come back on a Tuesday and be like, oh, I have to work. 
and then be a Thursday, like, oh, I haven't done any work. It was just this repetitive cycle. And look, it's not the best answer, but basically three months later, I went to go see my family in India. I went to a friend's wedding overseas and all this money that I don't basically disappeared. (laughs) So like the short term answer was that unfortunately I didn't really learn my lesson, but Mm. I needed to make money again. So I worked Mm. really hard again. Mm. And then I went through the same cycle a year later. And that year I saw another psychologist because I was like, is this the same problem or is this something else? I should, Mm. I should address it. And Mm. that person was excellent. Like we went much, much deeper into the issue. And then this did happen, honestly, three years in a row. Every summer, I would work hard in the year. I would come to like October, November, realize, oh no, I have no motivation. Talk myself into, oh wait, that's okay. And then still have that struggle. And then look, a couple of years later, I was giving my other friends advice saying, oh, this is normal. This is what happened. This is what my psychologist told me. And it's like a lot of breaking down barriers because as an Indian person or someone who's really driven, you're not used to being, it's almost being lazy or going easy Mm -hmm. on yourself. And that's not natural for us. So I think that was the main lesson that I learned out of those three years, aside from the money and all this other stuff. True. In terms of your own personal growth and in terms of connections that you developed in those three years of running your business, is there anything comes in your mind which was which has been very valuable for you, which you can take forward in even the new business that you started? Yeah, the number one thing that I could probably say is if you send an email to someone or if you call someone, they don't get back to you. Or even if you work with someone for six months and they don't get back to you for the next three months, it's completely okay. And I think as, as a, a young person, that was the hardest for me to take because, you know, when you're working in a company and you might work as a sales manager, account manager, whatever, and when you have these relationships, it's fine because you naturally move to the next one, move to the next one. But when it becomes your own business, it becomes more personal. You know, it's like, I came to see you at your office. We talked about your plan for your team. I helped you recruit your team. And then three months later, you're not getting back to me. Like, what did I do wrong? Like you, you start seeing all these problems of what you did. And I think it took me, it basically took me that whole three or four years because by the end of it, I went through a cycle where these people that might've become good friends or clients in 2016, 17, maybe they didn't talk to me for 2018 and I felt upset or were confused, but eventually, because I kept following up every three to six months they would talk to me again. And, you know, one person might've had a family issue or one person might've had gotten fired from their job and they were too embarrassed to tell me. These types of things do happen and it's not actually your fault all the time. So -hmm. that's probably the one big thing that I learned in terms Mm -hmm. of relationships. And -hmm. then the other thing is just common sense in terms of like, there's a lot of pride in in creating these relationships, but Mm -hmm. the hard part, it's almost like your own friendships or relationships at home. The hard part is what if you go through a bit of a tough time you don't just avoid it completely because mm. that was the other thing. Avoidance was one of my big things. So mm. at the start, I'd go, oh, that's fine. I'll, I'll think of another relationship kind of thing. But when it's your own business, you can't look the other way or someone else will handle it. Like you have to be the one to, it's okay to put it off for some time or mm. to avoid the conflict for some time. But mm. at the end of the day, you have to come back and address it because that is either your businesses or your own reputation. And in most cases, both. So those are probably the two main things. Mm, that's interesting at any point in time did you feel like some of your friends have been working for large corporations you were kind of startup model all through even in the uh, the first job you did was a small recruitment company was small you ran a small business did you ever have that feeling like oh some of my friends are working in kpmg or you know big consulting or 
big industry organizations and am I on track? Um, you know, am I doing something wrong or any of these kind of thought came in your mind at any point in time? Not that I was doing something wrong, but the clear difference into, between what you're doing or what your friend's doing is yeah. huge. And now like, you know, that was when I was 25, 26 and now I'm, you know, 30 and my friends are either side of 30. So yeah. I think a lot of people do struggle with that. Like if they decide to quit their job, then they would struggle with, oh no, it has to work or what will people think? And yeah. all these very typical subcontinental family things. But yeah. I think in most cases, it's like, it's about knowing yourself. Like if you're the type of person that needs the support network or, or likes the constant praise and promotions and salary increases, then of course you, you should probably work in a, in a larger business. But I think what's happening, especially due to COVID now, like a lot of people are like reassessing, I guess, their priorities and their goals. So I think if you want more meaning as to what you're doing, or you want to have a more of an impact or broader experience than that startup life, or not, not necessarily startup, even like more of a medium business and a smaller team, because Australia is such a small population, you can get that startup feel even in medium-sized companies. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably more suitable. But again, for me, no, that, that, that wasn't something because like, luckily I had that one year of experience in big companies mm -hmm. and, you know, personal failure and more importantly, dislike of that. So like, it's not like I've never done that before mm -hmm. because I have, I didn't enjoy it. And now I know that however much pressure I might feel or how many other problems might arise or maybe my friends might have jobs that seem more easy or not easy. Like they have, I guess you have like the support network around you. I understand that I can just go get that from someone else. Like I can talk to my wife, I can talk to my friends or people I know in my network and go meet them for a coffee and I can get that same support. But at least at the end of the day, I have the freedom to run my own business the way that I want. So I want to get into the juicy conversation now of your cricket analytics startup. But before that, few questions suddenly came in my mind. When you run yeah. a business, in the beginning, uh, you may be a little bit not so disciplined. And then you go through iterations and you find if you don't do certain things, your business is not going to grow. Yeah. So can you think of few things in your three years of running your own business and two years of working with someone as a recruiter? Some of the core habits which were instrumental in succeeding in in those businesses? I think the one, because my personality is just very different to a lot of people and especially a lot of subcontinental people, I would say. So I think the, the first main thing that I learned is like how to actually figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are. So that might be as basic as, are you more of a morning person or are you more of an evening person? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in any job, you're, you're usually asked to work nine to five. There's no real choice of, hey, if you're not a morning person, come in at 11, finish at seven. <laughs> I know it's more common now, but mm. that's one thing. So yeah. what are your strengths and weaknesses? And I think B is like, I think the other side of that is like, what are you really good at? So for example, with me, I get really excited by working with people or any sort of like commercial or sales opportunities. I'm really strong and really interested in the first, they say zero to one. So I'm always really interested in that. But then when it comes time to like delivering or point by point getting to the end of the project that's not one of my strengths it's something that I obviously have had to learn to do mm. but it's something that I can lose patience with yeah mm. and how about some of the KPIs did you have to monitor any KPIs while running not oh actually yeah so like working in a company 100% there were KPIs working as our own company they were very very flexible like because obviously we're running our own business it was just to make sure that you know we meet like minimum requirements and stuff so KPIs is a really tricky one because like I think recruitment is a type of industry where it's full of very 
people that are driven by money. Whereas I realized by the end of it, that's not necessarily like what drives me. Mm-hmm. So I think what worked for me is having more internal KPIs. Right, okay, this is, I still remember I came back from India and had a great experience meeting my family and stuff. And mm-hmm. I printed out a piece of paper with a photo of me and my cousins and me and my grandparents or something. Mm-hmm. And I had this number of like quarterly goals. And then mm-hmm. this is what can happen if I meet those goals. So I won't say it lasted the whole year, but that definitely <laughs> drove me for a period of time. So I think okay. it's more, I think internal KPIs are probably a bit more important because in, sure. in a bigger company, you might have these KPIs and you have to meet them because mm-hmm. you could lose your job or, you know, you could have problems with your manager, but the one, once you're running your own company, forget about all that. If you can't drive yourself, then that's mm-hmm. a, a bigger concern than just not meeting the KPI. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. So now what makes you leave your business and start a, another business which is into sports analytics like i think the be- the easiest way to explain it is like i was going from somewhere where it was easy to earn my- or not easy but uh, i knew how to earn money but i didn't want to do that long term i'd been doing it for five years we you know don't why, have- why you didn't want to do it for long term it was paying you good your bills and it was making you more than bills yeah, you're better than most of your friends who were in court. Why would you leave? I think it goes back to what I said around the motivation, right? So mm-hmm. I told you, like, I would work really hard from, say, every February, I'd be like, oh, money's a bit short. I better work hard, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd work hard. Then I'd get to like the end of the year, maybe September, October, I go, oh, I've worked hard for six months. Mm-hmm. I'm fine for money for the next three months or the next mm-hmm. six months. And that's it. Like, I would kind of mentally switch off. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of got to an age also of like, you know, like you had the high school, uni, first job, first business. I had a lot of new things happening. And like, I'd also been married for a few years. So Mm. all of these new things had happened. And now it was like, I don't have that desperation anymore Mm. of Mm. I have to do this or I have to do that. So now it was like, okay, well, let's go from money and what I have to do to like, all right, well, what do I want to do for the next two, five, 10 years? Right. Um, and I, and I, one of the main things I made a few notes before this, but one of the main things that drove this was 2019. I'd been doing this for about four and a half years. And I went on a two week Europe trip just because I, I had the time I had the money. I was like, this is it quick two week trip. I, I've never traveled by myself. So I wanted to do that. So I did that. I came back and straight after my, one of my grandparents passed away, unfortunately. So made a, a very quick, urgent trip to India for, I think two weeks so I came back and I, I basically hadn't worked properly for like four to six weeks. Mm. And I came back and I realized, all right, look, money wise, I'm okay. Now, th- this was like my thinking and strategizing time. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end and I was like, that transition from what do I have to do to what do I want to do? Look, if I can run my own company, mm-hmm. how do I transition from you know, this thing where I can earn money, I know how to earn money to sports analytics, which I know nothing about. I know no one in the industry and I have no technical skills. <laughs> how do mm-hmm. I make that transition? So I drew up all these elaborate plans of if I earn this much money here and that much money there, then I can work on the sports analytics stuff. And by this time I can do this. Long story short, three to six months of trying to do that. I basically lost all drive for recruitment. I mm-hmm. just did not care about all these plans anymore and just thought, nah, that's it. One day it was like, that's it. Say bye. No more. No, no more recruitment. No, and just go straight into the sports stuff. No, because no typical guilt like, oh, it was a well-established business. And what no. will parents say? What will friends say? And, you know, what if the next step I take is not going to work? 
you don't have any kind of guilt feeling or some kind of shakiness in the transition? No, definitely zero guilt. But the only thing was, which was, I was so used to earning money and planning finances and all this stuff because I was going to grow from earning, you know, like an X amount for the last three years to earning zero and actually spending money on hiring technical resources. True. So it wasn't guilt. It was more how the hell is this going to work financially and yeah. the stress of that. That was, mm. that was the only thing that I was considering for a few months. So what was the idea that you picked up in sports analysis? Look, it was kind of in a way similar to what you're trying to do there in terms of like, start a podcast as like an entry point to the industry. For me, I didn't know anyone in sport, has zero technical skills, and I was not a billionaire or anything like that. So mm. for me, I was like, it made no sense to try to commit to an idea for a company. What did make sense is growing a network. So basically March, 2020, the day that COVID hit, I did my first podcast mm. for something called Sport Tech Daily. I launched the podcast and the, the initial concept was try to speak to people in sport sports analytics, sports science, and uh, sports betting or fantasy sport, or the sporting industry, you know, the BBL or NRL or AFL franchises and people that work in that. So I did that for about two months. I think I spoke to maybe 20 or 30 people on the podcast, another 30 or 40 people just on Zoom calls and phone calls. You know, my networking skills in recruitment definitely helped me. So I spoke to at least 50 people, if not more in two months and realized if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball by Brad Pitt, or like that's probably the easiest way to think of it. Or if you think about EPL football, if you think about NBA basketball, if you think about IPL in India, think about these multi-billion dollar industries. They all have mathematicians or data scientists for every single club let alone just the sport themselves. In Australia, we are at least 10 years behind that. You know, we're working off Excel spreadsheets from sports science interns and stuff from what I what I hear in the industry. So I basically thought what an amazing opportunity to at least start something on a basic level in the technical side of sports analytics and see where it takes us, basically. That was mm-hmm. all the, in April, 2020, that was the basic plan. Mm-hmm. So basically you started a podcast, you started to meet people in sports, you realize the way they are managing, especially these clubs, uh, which in other parts of the world are done pretty high tech way. And in Australia, there was a gap. So what all you did from there, I mean, apart from podcast, what else did you do to start forming into a business and starting to build those uh, uh, clients and stuff like that? Yeah. So look at the start, it was kind of funny because I I went into this first meeting. I I agreed to hire a data scientist and he'd worked in the sports industry for about five years. So in hindsight, he was the perfect person to hire. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't a tech recruiter before. Right. So I did that. I think it was mid-April, mid-April 2020. And I, I still remember this feeling of being like, oh my God, I've hired this data scientist. How the hell am I going to explain what to do when all I've done before is recruitment? How am I going to project map this and I probably Mm. should have I probably should have put more thought into it in in hindsight but uh, luckily this person had worked I I did hire the right person this person had done a data science uh, had a data science background he'd worked in small startup analytics environments within sports three different times and obviously that's what we were trying to do so we Mm. we built the database I hired another junior person we started building predictive models and insights and visualizations and honestly at the start it was just experimentation Let's do a little bit of stuff for sports uh, sports betting. Let's try fantasy sport. Let's try, you know, IPL or BBL, just analysis of cricket games or whatever. Very simple stuff. And 
within the first few months, I was like, oh, wow, like we're doing some pretty cool stuff. By this mm-hmm. time, live sport had started again post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this was all remote, by the way. And then I realized, oh, okay, how do we now show this stuff on our website? It's such a basic concept was so foreign. And then I realized, oh, wait, obviously we need software engineers. So mm-hmm. went and found um, a software engineering program that we could hire them as an intern for a period of time and then hire them as casuals afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, then built out like an analytics platform onto our podcast and blogging website and by this time it's like end of 2020 and then we come to the next challenge of in a post-covid world these guys all moved on to full-time jobs because i was offering them two or three days of uh, work a week right they moved on to full-time jobs we basically had no knowledge transfer or you know ip or like management of our workflows basically nothing because I didn't come from that background. So yeah, yeah. I had like a one page word document. <laughs> that, <laughs> what, what is that going to do? So yeah, this, this summer was really challenging because it was like, oh, wow. Like I take, I took this leap to leave recruitment and do this thing. Mm. This, this company has some legs and it has some traction, but I went from a podcast to a tech company and now there's no tech people. <laughs> like what, what do I do now kind of thing? And at this point I considered like uh, the people that I used to work with in recruitment, I was still in touch with them. So I thought, look, at least let's just give it a go, right? Like it's not, it's not like I've forgotten everything. Let me just do this for six months. Then I can raise some more money. Then I can do this tech stuff again. Mm-hmm. I basically did it for, for one month. I had all these opportunities on the table for various reasons out of my control. I was going to make more than $50,000 at one point, mm. potentially. Mm. All of that disappeared within like two weeks for all these different reasons. And mm. I thought, no, nah, I'm not putting myself through this again. Done. Mm. I don't care how much money's on the table. That's it. Mm. Gone. Mm. And sort of April this year, or March this year, I made a firm commitment. I will never go back or look back on the recruitment staff. I hired a couple more tech people to kickstart the business again. And the last sort of 10 months, we've been flying ever since then, which has been awesome. That's fantastic. So one couple of things that I got in my mind with what you said, just to add uh, to what you've been saying. Yeah. Uh, during recruitment, uh, you used the word, I started to pick up the language of data scientists and analysts and all. That was very important in any job yeah. or any business. It's really important that we observe and listen to the language of our clients and you know partners and whatever, employees, all of those things. So that, that's a pick for me. And the second thing was, of course, the network that you built. And one important aspect of your uh, story, which in my workshops, I talk it all the time, build your career in with authenticity, with who you are, what your core values are, what inspires you, what energizes you and things like that. So even here, when there was a cash flow thing and you wanted to use recruitment to fill that cash flow, you couldn't do it for long and you realize just doesn't click. So now I need to 100% commit to what I'm doing. So end of yeah. the day uh, that that word works uh, when we 100% commit to one thing it may take a little bit of time may have its own challenges but the focus is so high it's going to yeah. work it's going to yeah. work eventually no 100% and just one thing that i'll say like i'm assuming a lot of people that would listen to this would be more from the technical background right so yeah. one of the main things that i learned as a recruiter very early on is if you go speak to a head of analytics or a senior data scientist they don't maybe they would but like my perspective is that they don't want to be speaking to a recruiter that thinks that they understand everything because at the end of the day they've gone and done a four-year technical degree or a master's degree on top of that and they're doing this stuff day in day out just because I live understand the high level terms doesn't mean that I should be speaking to them on their level right Mm -hmm. so one of the first things that I remember uh, when I started as a 
well, obviously I'm the founder of Wiki, but you know, my job is kind of like project or product management, right? So mm-hmm. one of the first things I was really aware of is don't try to be over smart in what you're trying to sort of communicate. And also when you're hiring people, use that. I think it was Steve Jobs or, or one of the big sort of tech well-known people. Smarter that said, than yourself. Yes. Hire people that are smarter than yourself. So that was the first one. And B, when you bring those super smart people on, then don't try to sort of tell them what to do or, you know, like then don't try to talk down to them. Look up, like not look up, but you know what I mean? Like use their intelligence and harness it in the right way. And in some cases, someone might be more intelligent than you or, you know, would obviously have a much stronger technical understanding than you, but you need to be firm and say, look, you're trying to do these five different things, but we have this client, we have this deadline. This is the job that we're here to do. Let's stick to this for now. And those three other things you want to do, we can do them next month when we have some time. Definitely. So basically you are in a sports analytics world. Your company is called Wiki, W-I-C-K-Y. That's the one. Um, based out of, and at high level, I understand what a sports analytics is and you give some examples as well. Now that it's a business, you may already be thinking, can I focus on this model? Can I have this kind of client? Give me some understanding of what all type of customer you have talked to. And of course you have got one, which is good to start. And yep. then just some sort of projection or vision of how you see this business going forward. Awesome. Okay. So, so that yeah. you can invite people from my community yeah. participate in somewhere or other to take and help you in growing this business oh 100 so look the, the general sort of thought process is that you know wiki we, we have sort of three main branches to the work that we do mm-hmm. so the first one is probably the easiest to explain which is you know whether it's ipl big bash in, in australia or anywhere else any of these t20 franchises as a, a consultant or an analyst to them so mm-hmm. obviously we can do you know insights and analytics for any t20 franchise in the world i haven't started pitching those services yet because we're just in a phase of the next two months i've got three or four people working full-time on a lot of the capabilities that we're trying to develop but after that that'll be our first pitch at the moment it's probably the one that will make the least amount of money but it will be the best for credibility and personally the most interesting being a sports fan. So that's one sort of avenue, I guess, of, of the model. The other one is the world of fantasy sports or sports betting. So I know sports betting in the Indian community is frowned upon. In Australia, A, it's always been legal. B, it's extremely popular. In America, it's a booming market because traditionally, it's, like India, it's been illegal. And now state by state, they're all legalizing it. So I don't mean just using data to go gamble. Like that's not that exciting. It probably is very lucrative, by the way, but (laughs) I want to do this as a career. I don't want, I'm not in this to make a quick buck and just help someone gamble. But what it is really interesting for me is from a client perspective. So from a sports betting company point of view, again, from market research that I've done is like you have a couple of the bigger players in the market that would have their own quant teams and their own capabilities. There's no real point of trying to work with them. There are other players in the market that are more like startup sports betting companies who don't have those data and analytics capabilities that would be very open to at least conversations with us around, Mm. for example, with cricket, T20 cricket is such a big betting market. How can we use our analysis and insights or maybe even build a product that we could then go to company A, B and C, who are the small to medium players in the market, so Mm. they can maybe leverage and go up and try to meet the bigger players. So that uh, and on the fantasy side. 
If you follow the IPL, there's something called Dream 11 or My 11 Circle, mm. which is uh, essentially the fantasy sports company in India that is kind of like, or it is legalized and it's sports betting combined with fantasy. So you enter in your team for like 50 rupees or whatever it is. And then you get a chance. If your team does the best, you get a chance at the bigger price. So they're so big that they sponsored last year's IPL. So imagine how much of a sort of a, a big organization that is. Mm. Uh, and in America, that company, uh, that uh, industry, sorry, is a multi-billion dollar interest industry with companies like DraftKings, for example. Mm. So in Australia, there's Supercoach, which is very popular. Shane Warne is always on TV ads, promoting it when the Big Bash is on. Uh, mm. That gets around one to 200,000 people, depending on what sport the fantasy is for. And more specifically, Draft Stars, which is the partnership that we're just about to announce, Mm. They do something similar to My 11 in India, but across all the popular Australian and American sports. And at the moment, we've partnered with them to A, provide data tools and analysis, and B, on the content side, saying, hey, look, the Sydney Sixers are playing the Melbourne Stars. These are the 22 available players. These are some, these are all our projected scores from our mathematical models. And this is who we think you should pick because they're a good value pick and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So the sports betting and fantasy thing probably has the most commercial opportunities obviously the most entertaining and because we're trying to sort of get our brand out there that's one of the the big ones as well and on the third side look we th there's obviously the subscription model for for users it's something that i've said no to basically the whole time we run this company because i would love to see how big we can make this company from a a user and like a daily engagement point of view mm. so at least for the short term i would love to partner with businesses and see what we can do for the community rather than just try to make $5 per person oh, from users that sign up. Yep. So no, makes that, sense. that is an option. And maybe one day down the track, if we have enough of an offering, then mm -hmm. I could justify looking at that. But mm -hmm. at this stage, that's not one of our considerations. That sounds very exciting. And I know this is an Indian community podcast predominantly. Yeah. I hope they will like to check out what you are doing. And in terms of your uh, challenges, what are the top one or two biggest challenges? Or not challenges, time time thing as well you know it takes time to do certain things so yep. if you have to call out one or two big challenges you're working on not that it's obstacle for you you're working on yeah yeah um, so that people can think and maybe participate with you and some way uh, uh, you know help you or collaborate with you yeah sure i think i'm not sure how common this challenge is but like the one big challenge for me personally has been I've kind of become obsessed with this whole sports analytics and tech startup world. So yeah. when you have, you know, these things I'm explaining to you, like once you have the analytics consulting path or the fantasy sports and sports betting path, and then you've got like content as well, podcasts and articles and all this. And then there's a, uh, I won't go into this in detail, but you know, cryptocurrency, NFTs, that whole world is yeah. becoming crazy now. Right. Yes, so yes, yes. if you've got these four different paths, but you have one like myself, and these part-time technical people right now, it's it's a lot to try to do at once. So True. it's it's been, and especially because the guys that we work with are two or three days a week. So sometimes we're luckily we're just about to get these guys on for you know basically full time for the next couple of months. Traditionally, like in the last few months, it's been there's four different things that I want to attack. I'm listening to podcasts for two hours a day on tech startups and you know sports, blockchain projects, and all these things. But how the hell do we just sort of lock this down and work on one thing at once? 
So in an ideal world, you know, we're, we're trying to hire overseas and get more full-time resources and, and tackle that. But I think, I think it would be a pretty common problem that if you're going to immerse yourself in your startup and this new industry, you would have so many ideas, but how do you prioritize? Or do you think from the point of view of how do I make money the quickest? Or do you go for the, we would like to get bought out by a venture capital company one day in two, three, four years. Like, how do you you start this off as like, I started this off as a dream project. Very mm. quickly, it's become a legitimate business. Mm. But then now, how do you, which avenue do, do you go down? Do you try to sell this off and make a boatload of money, hopefully you want in two years mm. time or three years time? Or mm. do you try to make this like a five or 10 year lifelong type of company? Mm. And also within that, how do you prioritize between projects? So I think, uh, you know, without really getting into a uh, solution, do you have any mentors uh, or do you are you part of any network community where there are other entrepreneurs who have uh, run businesses successfully? And I mean, every business which has been successful has yeah. gone through these challenges. You know, there's no business which has not gone through these challenges. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I've definitely got a couple of people within sports analytics that I speak to at least once every two or three months. And my recruitment background was really helpful because I know such a broad range of data scientists or analytics managers or even directors of data science or analytics, right? So, but they're very much informal. Like I'll touch base with them once every three or six months. And even from a community point of view, like there's no very obvious sports analytics community. Like there's a couple of different meetups that or communities you can join, but nothing struck. And also something that might be interesting to people, there's some a concept called Lunch Club, which is like an online networking tool where once a week you can do a Zoom meeting with someone within roughly your area of work. So hmm. these are the things that I've tried, but nothing so structured, unfortunately. Nothing so structured. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so we have our listeners and people who have interest in sports. Uh, well, what's the, ba- what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Look, Nicole at wiki.ai. So N-A-K-U-L at W-I-C-K-Y.ai. That's my email. Obviously more than happy to receive emails or sort of LinkedIn and Twitter, more than happy to connect and, and talk through there. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well. So sure. uh, so good journey, Nakul. I'm very proud of what you've been able to do. And I think it's all within seven, eight years of uh, graduating. Yeah, so uh, two jobs, all, two all of this, All of this started sort of mid-2015. So five and a half years since the recruitment started. I try to forget that one year before that but uh, I yeah, counted that so it's about about four uh, six uh, six seven years six and yes. a bit yeah yeah so six and a bit so it's been a good journey and I'm very happy to hear you didn't have any guilt or regret or if you're not you're not comparing with people your friends who've been uh, kind of lavishly spending time in corporates where they just need to do one thing and uh, they get uh, paid for that whereas in a startup world uh, even the recruitment business that you ran or the wiki or AI that you're running it's a lot to do as a small business and as a startup, while the pressure is huge and, uh, uh, you know, these are always these priority challenges and things like that. But I yeah. think at the end of the day, it's uh, very fulfilling. And that's the reason you kind of halfway went in recruitment and, st- and came back in a month or so, yeah. uh, because this is fulfilling. So Yeah, I think just one thing I'll say, say on that last note that you mentioned, I think... Uh, Like, so as I said, I'm 30. Most of my friends are either side of 30. Some of our friends are starting to start families and everything, right? But I think the one thing that people tend to overthink is like, you know, what will happen if or what will people Mm. think and all this kind of thing. Mm. But I think like the discussion is definitely worth having, especially if you're in a relationship, you know, if you've got two people in the house and both with incomes, one might have a 
a better paying job or one might have a personality that's more suited to starting a company. Mm. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be that you have to follow this path of, I need to be married at this age. I need to buy a house at this age. I need to start a family at this age. Like, I think the one thing that I didn't really talk about in detail is when I first started that job in, in recruitment back in mm. 2015, mm. we had an office in Surrey Hills. I met a really wide range of people. Before that, I'd never done that. You know, if you're stuck within your uh, subcontinental or Indian community, you go through a traditional high school uni path, mm. you don't get that option to meet people with different mindsets. So, you know, some people have that exposure and some people don't, but I think people are really locked in and very busy with their daily lives, but they don't sit down and actually think of like, okay, well, maybe I'm very happy as an accountant at a bank or whatever it is, but maybe my partner is not, you know, and, and could they maybe instead of a lot of our friends make some decent money, you know, if you're on a hundred thousand dollars, 120, 150, whatever it is, thousand dollars, that's a lot of money. And maybe it starts off with you sacrifice one day of work a week. Like mm. what would happen if I worked for four days a week mm. and instead of making $125,000, I'm now making a hundred thousand mm. dollars. But in that one day, what could I achieve? Or could I, you know, I work 10 hours a day. I'm very stressed. I can't go study something else. But what if I worked a day less, you know, like these conversations need to be had. And a, a lot of people spend a lot of time very frustrated without actually taking action. Yeah, so I think so, the sooner you have that conversation, the sooner you take some action, the sooner you have a way out. <laughs> I'm happy you came on, uh, Nakul, and you talked about these areas because I, I, I strongly believe what you said is getting locked in into a routine is yeah. dangerous. In my mind now, it's dangerous. Like your exposure is so limited. You know, you kind of the, the toad in the well kind of story. Mm -hmm. But when you do different things, the exposure is huge. So when you talked about working in recruitment, your exposure was huge. Yeah. And that's when you kind of start to figure out what you are good at, what you should be doing. When you are locked in in one place, it's always just just thinking on your own. Am I doing yeah. right? And am I stuck and whatnot? So that was a good, a good point that you raised, Nakul. Anything else that you thought uh, I should have asked, which I did not ask? Not, not anything that you asked, and I'm probably sick of speaking about myself, but I think there's, there's a, uh, and I mentioned this to you, that there are definitely a couple of really interesting points around growing up as an Indian or subcontinental or any sort of migrant, right? So, and you mentioned a lot of points around the, the guilt or what will people say and all this kind of stuff. And I think um, I, I came to a point, I think it was around last year when, you know, my freedom or my lack of care factor for what other people think i think everyone is in a unique family or social situation right so what i realized was like i grew up without it my dad passed away when i was young so therefore obviously that was extremely sad but what that gave is a big sense of freedom and like you know i got to make decisions along with my mom on what happened in our lives i'm also an only child and i'm not saying this is right or wrong but in an indian family being a, a male rather than a female your parents might give you more freedoms or early in life give you exposure to things that may not they're not they may not give their daughters right so i'm, I'm not mm. saying this is right and mm. you know we we try within our own family and environment <laughs> to, to change those attitudes but yeah. there's a few different things uh, and, and also my personality is that if I didn't listen to my parents or family as a 10 year old, I was never going to listen to them as a 30 year old. So like <laughs> I, I was, I've been very fortunate to, I guess, come from an environment where those things haven't been problems, but I think it's very important to understand that 
in other people's sort of families or social environments, they might have multiple siblings. They might be a female and their parents might be harder on them early in life, or, you know, they might have a family really young and have mortgages and two children that they need to take care of at the age of 30. So not everyone is in the same boat. And I think it's about like, you can't just ignore, even things might not be right. Like you can't just ignore that everyone is in a different scenario, but I think it's, if you're lucky enough to be able to make a decision or control what you're doing, I think it's like, it's your responsibility to try to like help out other people that are looking to make those decisions. And sometimes honestly, it can get pretty frustrating because people might say things like, oh, you run your own company. How would you know what it's like though, what I'm going through and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I try not to like bite back at that, but Mm -hmm. I think it's like, you know, you might deal with the same friends telling you about the same problems, Mm -hmm. but like realistically there is, a way out of it and it's just like educating your friends on like hey these are the problems that i went through i always say that if, you, if you're going to start a business try to do it with someone else not just from a capability point of view but from like an emotional and mental support point of view and people don't understand that necessarily at the start they just think i have an interest in fashion so i'm going to start a fashion company or i want to start a cafe so i'm going to take a loan and start a cafe it's not as easy as that like you need to a little bit of savings helps because that gives you that confidence of something to fall back on. And ideally, if you have, if you do have a partner, that the financial decisions are really important because they can give you that base so you don't just immediately feel the pressure mm. enough to resign and go, oh, I'm out of savings. We haven't discussed this. What mm. do I do now? Because that's what leads to stress. But if you if you trans if you manage the transition well, mm. it, it hopefully is the best decision you've ever made. Definitely. So it starts with you know you being you rather than you uh, know, thinking about what others would say and things like that. And then, yeah. of course, do planning. And you talked about a lot of little nuances of uh, planning and transitioning. So that's fantastic, Nakul. And uh, good to talk to a Gen Y who's been, uh, <laughs> you know, in uh, by in, in six, six, seven years of uh, graduating, you have done two jobs, two businesses, and will wish you best of luck for wiki.io. Very exciting space from, from perspective of a subcontinent Indian. Yeah, yeah. all about cricket and it's you know in terms of technology analytics is a space which is growing with ai and ml and everything coming in uh, is the place to be in so we we'll look forward to wiki.io uh, growing and uh, you know uh, thank you for coming on the podcast awesome thank you so much for having me on Hassan. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host Hassan Ali. Hope you got a different perspective about career from Nakul. Uh, within seven years of graduating, Nakul has taken multiple bold steps. I believe he is living his passion and he is often performing outside his comfort zone and hence growing faster than someone in typical 9 to 5 job. Let me know what you learned from Nakul's journey and uh, if you are someone at a career crossroad wanting to grow in your career or looking to transition into entrepreneurship, do connect with me on LinkedIn. I may be able to help you myself or will connect you with someone who's got the results that you are looking after.